0: Well, good morning and welcome to Genesis Church. My name is Jerry and I just wanna say welcome to family service. Now, if you're like me and you have kids at home, you're thinking, hasn't every weekend been family service for the last several weeks? Well, yeah, kind of, but family service is different because there's so much fun and energy and you're gonna wanna hang out for overtime today because we're gonna have a lot of fun. So I wanna say thanks to all the families for joining us today. And I wanna say good morning to my family at home, my wife, Casey, and our four kids, Jude, Ben, Braun, and Kate. I look forward to being with you guys soon. So thanks for tuning in with us today. Now I want to talk to all of you kids out there for just a moment. How excited are you that summer is finally here? I'm gonna give you permission right now on the count of three to give a big cheer. Okay, and parents, you gotta settle them down on your own. They're on yours. Ready? One, two, three, go. How excited are you? So I could barely hear you, but I trust that you were cheering out there. So thanks for cheering. Now, kids, when you're a kid, summer is a time for lots of fun and it's time to make a lot of great memories. But I want to talk to all you kids as a former kid. And as an adult and a parent right now, be sure to have fun, but don't have too much fun. And here's why. Because having too much fun can actually get you in a lot of trouble. One of the most memorable summers for me as a kid was the summer of 1988, back in Old Testament times. I was 10 years old, okay? And and here's what made the summer of 1988 so special, so memorable for me. I shouldn't say special. It wasn't all the fun that I had. It was actually all of the trouble that I got into because that summer, 10-year-old version of me made a big mistake. Me and my cousin decided that it would be fun. It was a good idea to start setting small piles of leaves on fire. We would light them on fire and then we would stomp them out. And I know it's a terrible decision. Kids, don't be like me, okay? And, but just so you know, we did this in a dried out creek bed. So we thought we had everything under control so that nothing bad would happen, but something not so good happened. And, and what happened was we let one of those piles and it, got, it was a little bigger than it should have been. And we let it burn a little longer than we should have. But thankfully, it didn't get out of control because four fire trucks later, everything was taken care of. Four fire trucks later. Now, all of the details of that story are 100% accurate. But here's what you need to know about that story. I would say that I thought the fire trucks were a little bit of overkill. Because the truth is, even though it was scary for a minute, my dad and our neighbor, they had everything under control before the fire trucks got there. So I thought this is a little dramatic, don't you think? But that's not how my dad saw it. And that night when I laid down to go to bed, I'll never forget my dad saying, son, I'm so glad you're safe. I love you and, and I hope you learned your lesson, but here's what you need to know. You are grounded for a year from playing in the woods with your cousins. Now when you're 10 and it's the summer, that's like a death sentence. I didn't argue, I knew I was wrong. I had never done anything that bad before, but what I did do for the next several days and weeks and months Here's what I did, I was on my best behavior. I did chores, I did everything I could in hopes of my parents forgetting all the bad stuff. That one little blemish on my record, and they would think, you know what, he's a good kid, he's not gonna be grounded anymore. Now here's, here's what's true. Whether you're 10, or you're 42, or you're 75, don't we all tend to take that approach when we mess something up? If we do something bad, we wanna do something good to offset it, so people don't remember the bad. Now a scientist, Sir Isaac Newton, he wrote about or he he discovered a a scientific principle that that has become known as uh, Newton's third law of motion. And Newton's third law of motion says this, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Now that's a scientific principle, but I think whether we realize it or not, we try to apply this to all the mistakes that we make in life. So we'll do something bad and we'll try to make up for it with something good. So I want you to picture a scale that looks something like this. And on the one side, you've got all the bad stuff. And any time you do something bad, you try to overload it with something good. We do this all the time. So let me, let me give you a few examples. Parents, maybe you can relate to this. Have you ever been trying to get out the door to get your family to the next place, no matter where you're going? You don't want to be late. And you're telling your family, hey, we, get your shoes on, get your snack, get in the van. But you're convinced that your kids and maybe even your spouse, they're working against you. They want you to be late. And so you warn them and warn them and warn them. And finally, after the 23rd warning, what happens? you blow up and you yell, hypothetically speaking. That's never happened in our house, hypothetically, right? But hypothetically, you yell, and all of a sudden, even though you feel justified, everybody looks at you like you're the bad guy, and you feel like the bad guy, and the scales are tipped to the bad. And you don't, I don't know about you, I do not like walking around feeling like the bad guy, and so I'll walk around like this all day, and then eventually over the course of the day, I try to do things to balance things back out in my favor, right? So we'll get ice cream after dinner or we'll stay up late and watch a movie because I want them to remember, oh, dad's a good dad. He's a good husband, right? And so we do this all the time, this balancing act. We do this at work and at school, don't we? If you fail a test or if you miss an assignment, you do extra credit and you work really hard so your teacher knows that they're not gonna give up on you, right? You're a good student. Or we do this with our friends. If we stand a friend up, if we make a date with a friend and we have to cancel, we feel like a bad friend, So the next time, what do we do when we meet with our friend? We buy them Starbucks and we shower them with compliments because we want them to remember, oh, they're not bad, they're they're actually a good friend. Now, I'm sure that sounds familiar to all of you. And it's so easy to get caught up in this balancing act when it comes to our relationships with other people. But the problem with the balancing act is it kind of keeps us figuring out, we're always trying to figure out, well, who owes me and who do I owe? And it gets a little exhausting and and it kind of keeps us on edge, but... Here's the worst part about this balancing act of good and bad. It doesn't just impact our relationships with one another. If we apply this balancing act to our relationship with God, well, it can actually distort and destroy our view of God. It can, it can hurt our relationship with God. And it's gonna cause us to relate to God in one of three ways that are not very good. Now, the first way, maybe some of you can relate to, and that is simply perfection. You just try to be perfect. You are convinced in your mind that you can do enough good things that you can actually feel perfect. You create a bunch of laws and rules for yourself to follow. And should you mess up, should something land on the bad side of the scale? Well, it's easy. All you have to do is make some more rules so you look and feel more perfect. So so you're making God happy in your mind, right? So you might say something like, well, I've done something bad, so I'm going to go to church more often. I'm I'm gonna give money to that charity or I'm not gonna swear or I'm not gonna eat desserts all week so I can feel more perfect. Now you might laugh or roll your eyes at any of those scenarios, but here's a question. When was the last time you found yourself trying to overcompensate for your lack of perfection? I I think to some degree, we, we all do this. Now, if you're like me, you think, well, I know I'm never gonna be perfect. I mess up a lot. So we laugh at the people that try to be perfect, but maybe some of you can relate to this next one. How many of you get caught up in trying to feel like you're good enough. You just wanna do enough to be better than most other people. You know you're not the best, but you don't wanna be the worst either. And so you find yourself judging yourself against everyone else. And the problem with this, when we relate like this to God, is that it's a sliding scale. We're always looking up and down. We don't really know how to feel good enough. And it can just wear us out. So there's the perfectionist, there's the people that are trying to be good enough, but then there's a third category. And honestly, I think the, this third category of people, they're the most honest. They have just decided, well, I'm gonna give up. And here's why, they're convinced that if there is a God in heaven and if he is keeping track of things in a balancing scale, they've decided, you know, I've tipped the scale so far to the bad, why bother? I'm just gonna go do life my way and I'll deal with God later if he is really there. Now, that might sound like a good way to live, right? That might sound like freedom, but here's what's true. Underneath what seems to be freedom is a hidden sense of hopelessness. There is a deep longing for acceptance. And and if you give up, you just realize, I'm never gonna get that. I'm never going to experience that. I'm gonna make the most of life right now. So here's a question that I have for all of you right now. Whether you believe in God or not, I want you to be honest for a moment. When it comes to relating to God or figuring out spiritual things, which of these three best describes you? Would you say you're trying to be perfect? Are you hoping that you can be good enough? Or have you decided, you know what? I'm just just gonna give up. And if you look at the list, you might think that some of these look better than others. But here's what's true. All three of them, all three of them, they're gonna lead us to the very same place. When it comes to learning how to relate to God, we're going to be discouraged. We're going to be discontent. And we're going to be disappointed. And here's why. Trying to be perfect, it's not possible. And in trying to keep a bunch of rules, there's no joy in that. I mean this with all the love in the world, but have you ever met a joyful perfectionist? No. They're always trying to measure up to this impossible standard. Or being good enough. Being good enough is exhausting because you're always trying to, you're judging other people and that's not good, but you're also judging yourself against other people that you think are better than you and it just wears you out. And then obviously giving up, giving up hope. Well, well what, do you, what do you do from there? There's, there's really nothing to look forward to. Now, if these are the only three options we have when it comes to relating to God, I'll be honest with you. If these are the only options we have, it is no surprise that a lot of people give up on a relationship with God altogether. They walk away and say, why even bother? But here's the good news. The writers of the New Testament tell us there's actually a fourth option. And here's what's really good about this fourth option. It has nothing to do with a sliding scale and measuring the good and the bad. But before we talk about that, there's something that we all have to come to grips with. And I want you to think about this for your own personal life. Would you be willing to admit, maybe not out loud, but in your heart, that if there is a scale, that it's just tipped so far to the bad that you know deep down in your heart, there's nothing that you can do to bring it back to balance or towards the good. Because that is a reality that scripture talks about uh, over and over and over again. And there's a guy that helped write most of the New Testament. His name is the Apostle Paul. He was a church leader 2,000 years ago. And he wrote a number of letters in the New Testament to churches in the city of Rome or, or Corinth, And and as he was writing, he would encourage believers, followers of Jesus with these words. And I want you to listen to what Paul says in his letter to the church in Rome when it comes to our ability to balance out the good in our life. This is what he says. Everyone, all of us has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. In other words, Paul's making it clear that we've all blown it, every single one of us. We've all told a lie. We've all tried really hard to make ourselves look better than we are. And in some way or another, we have rebelled against God's standard and his will in our lives. He's just pointing out the obvious fact that if there was a scale, it is so, it's, temp- it's stuck in this bad position. And there's nothing that we can do to bring it up. And you might be tempted to say, yeah, whatever. I'm just going to write that off. Well, here's the thing. Paul didn't just mention this once. He mentions it a lot, especially in the book of Romans. Look at what he says in Romans 3.10. He says, there is no one, no one, no exceptions who always always does whatever is right. No, not even one. He says, don't don't fool yourself into thinking that you are the exception to the rule. And then he goes on in Romans 3.20 and he says this, no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. And I think he is speaking directly to the perfectionists in the room. He is speaking to those of us that think that we can be good enough. He's saying, look, I hate to tell you, you are wasting your time. There is nothing that you can do to fix this problem on your own. And let's be honest, that's a lot of bad news, right? That is more bad news in in a world that is full of bad news right now. But, But here's the good news. That's not Paul's whole story. Paul sets up the bad news so we can understand the good news. And the good news begins by understanding that God has done some things for us that we are not able to do for ourselves. He has let us know that God sent his son Jesus into this world to die in our place and to do away with this whole sliding scale of good and bad. I want you to listen to what Paul writes to the church in the city of Corinth. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, he says this, for God made Christ, God made Jesus, who had never sinned ever to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Paul says, listen, I want you to understand this. God loves you and he sent his son to do the thing for you that you're trying so desperately to do for yourself. And here's the thing, when you put your trust and your faith in Jesus, something amazing happens. God credits his goodness, his righteousness to my account and to your account. So that means we don't have to strive for perfection. We don't have to try to be good enough and we certainly don't need to give up hope in despair because through faith in Jesus, the theme that we see repeated over and over again in the New Testament is this. We are loved by God and through faith in Jesus, we are welcomed, we are adopted into his family. We are forgiven of our sins and we are set free from the shame of our past, we are made new in God's sight. I wanna say this one more time. When we put our trust and faith in Jesus's death on our behalf, his goodness is credited to our spiritual accounts and when God looks at us, he smiles because we're made right with him. Now we we talked about Romans 3.23 a little earlier but I want you to hear what the next verse Romans 3.24 has to say. Romans 3.23 says, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of of God's glorious standard. That's bad news. Yet, good news, God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Now, this is why this is so important. This verse tells us, God says, I am not interested in scales. Get the scales out of here. I am interested in you. I love you. I want to make things right between me and you. And that's true for every single one of us. So I want you to think about this for a moment. Not only, not only has God created me and you in unique ways to represent him to the world around us, but he's created us in such a way that he wants us to know that he loves us and he wants us to love him back in return. Now, if you've ever loved someone, have you ever tried to explain your love to them? whether it is a spouse or a child or a parent or a friend, you really can't fully describe and explain love, right? You can't really quantify it or measure it. It can only be experienced, shared, and enjoyed. And when we love someone, deep down, we want them to love us in return, not because we're married to them, not because they live in our house or they're our kid or they're our parent or they're our friend. We want them to love us in return. So what? We can enjoy a relationship with them. And and just let this settle in. That is how the God of the universe feels about me and you in spite of all the things that we've done in rebellion against him. Now in the gospel of Luke, Luke records a story uh, that Jesus tells about this very issue and it drives home the point for every single one of us. It's a story of a father and a son. and, And I'm gonna be honest with you, the son in this story is a punk. Because the son goes up to his dad and essentially what he says is, dad, I wish that you were dead so I could get my inheritance and I could start living my life for me right now. You are slowing me down, dad. Now, can you imagine? That's a terrible thing for a child to say to their parent. And it had to break the father's heart. But the dad gives the son what he wants. He gives him his inheritance. And here's another sad thing to the story. The son doesn't say thank you. The son doesn't say goodbye. He just leaves and he gets busy having a lot of fun with all of his inheritance. In fact, you could argue he probably had a little too much fun because eventually he spent it all. He didn't have any more friends, he had no more money and he got to the point that he was hungry and he needed a job and he got a job feeding slop to pigs and he was so hungry, he was so desperate. He wanted to eat the food that he had been feeding these pigs. Now that's a, that's a rough spot to be in. But then Jesus said one day that son came to his senses and he realized, you know what? I've really messed up. I have messed up my life. I have messed up my relationship with my dad. I'm hungry. I don't know what to do. There's no way my dad would ever forgive me, but I do know my dad has a big farm and I know he's always hiring people to work on the farm and he's a really good boss. So I'm just gonna go back and ask for his forgiveness and see if he'll at least give me a job so I can have some money and I can have some food. To eat and I can go on with life, and so the son decides he's going to walk home. And he starts that long walk of shame all the way back home. But while he's walking home, he starts to practice his "I'm sorry" speech. "I'm sorry, Dad, I really messed up. Look, you don't even have to consider me to be your son anymore. Can I just work for you? Because I'm hungry." And he practices this over and over and over again. And finally, eventually, he gets to the property line, and there's this long driveway that he has to walk down, walking to his dad's house. And he begins walking down the driveway. His head's kind of hung low. And Jesus said something really interesting happens. The father apparently had been watching for his son every day, looking off on the horizon, hoping that one day his son would come home. And when the dad sees the son, he takes off running straight for him. Now, I want you to imagine you are that son and that is your dad. You have wronged him you have taken his money, you've wasted it, you've offended him, and now he's running at you. Now, if you're that son, wouldn't you think, this is it, he's gonna give it to me. He's not just gonna ground me for a year, he's gonna say, you have a lot of nerve, get out of here and don't ever come back again. And so I just picture the son like bracing for this conflict. But then look at what Jesus says. Look at how Jesus finishes this story in his words. Filled with love and compassion, the father ran to his son, he embraced him and he kissed him. And his son tries to figure out what's happening and his son just says, father, I've sinned against heaven and you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He gets out his, I'm sorry. And then the father says, you're right, get out of here. I don't ever wanna see you again. That might be what you expect him to say, but that's not what he says. The father doesn't even acknowledge what his son has said. He says to his servants, quick, Get a robe, get a ring, get some sandals and put them on, dress him up, kill the fattened calf that we've been preparing. Tonight we are going to celebrate with the feast. Now listen to this. For this son of mine was dead, but now he's returned to life. He's alive to me again. He was lost, but now he's found. And look at this last part. So let the party begin. Now, I don't know about you. That story's fascinating to me for a lot of reasons because I've always read the story and thought it's really about how awful this son was to his father. But Jesus says, eh, that's really not the whole point of the story. The point isn't just how bad the son is. The point is how good the father was to his son in spite of all the things his son had done to him. And Jesus says, I want you to understand you and I, we are the son in that story we have rebelled against our heavenly father. We have done things our way. We have gone off and done our own thing and rebelled against him. But Jesus says, oh, but also remember, the father in the story is God. And he is just waiting for you to turn around and to come home to him. And the moment you do, he's gonna meet you. He's gonna hug you. He's gonna kiss you. And he is going to celebrate because you're his son, you're his daughter. He longs to have a relationship with us. He, and he is just waiting for us to turn to him. Now that might be hard for you to imagine because maybe you grew up in a home or maybe your experience with Christianity has been that you know God really just is judging me. He wants bad things for me, but God doesn't, he's not interested in the, in the scales. He's not trying to shame you. He's not waiting to zap you. He loves you. He loves me, he loves us, and he is waiting for us to come back to him. Now, and I want you to listen to how Jesus explains this in John chapter three, he says this. For this is how God loved the world, the whole world, this broken world that is a mess right now. Every single one of us. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. And so here's my question with you. Where are you at right now in your relationship with your heavenly father? Are you trying to be perfect? Are you hoping that you're going to be good enough? Are you ready to give up? Now, maybe you're a follower of Jesus, but every once in a while, it can be really It can be really easy for us to say, yeah, I'm following Jesus, but I gotta try really hard to keep it all together. Or it's just easier to judge myself against everybody else. Or maybe you're even teetering here on giving up. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are forgiven. You are restored. And it is time for us to live out of this relationship. There is a world around us that is falling apart and it is waiting for us to bring the peace of God to it. And that happens by having a peaceful relationship with our heavenly father. So what are you waiting for? But I wanna speak to my friends out there Maybe you're struggling to believe. You've tuned in for the last several weeks, but you're struggling to believe that there is a God in heaven. And you're here. You've given up. There's a pandemic. The world is falling apart and I'm just gonna live life for me. There's no life in that, my friends. I want to encourage you to listen to Jesus's words, to take a risk. To have a conversation with someone about beginning a relationship with God through his son, Jesus. Now, right now, here's what you can do. We have got some staff members and some pastors that would love to talk with you about taking a next step in your faith journey, okay? We're not gonna convince you of anything, but we would love to pray with you, to pray for you, and to talk to you about surrendering your life to Jesus and experiencing this relationship with God that he has had for us from the very beginning. And so right now in the comment section, you should find a Zoom link You can click that link and you're gonna be paired up with someone that you can talk to and pray with today. And and I just, I I beg you, as a friend, just start that conversation. You will not regret it. Jesus has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. So what are you waiting for? And here's some exciting news. If you choose to follow Jesus today, you can join us in two weeks because we're gonna be celebrating baptisms on Sunday, June the 14th. We're gonna celebrate people that have surrendered their life to Jesus and they're gonna be baptized into him. They're gonna be raised to new life and you can experience that with our church family. And so what are you waiting for? Why not? You've been exploring God for these last couple of weeks. Why not just take another step in that direction today? Click on the link in the comments section. Talk and pray with someone today. Let us know how we can help you. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, this world is really broken. And that is very evident to all of us today. I woke up this morning thinking, how in the world has the world got to where it is? Father, this doesn't surprise you. It doesn't please you. But as we read through scripture, we're reminded, you have had a plan from the very beginning. Your plan was never to set out a scale and to measure the good and the bad. Your plan has always been to send your son Jesus to die in our place so that anyone that would put their trust and their faith and their hope in him would be restored, forgiven, adopted, made new, filled with your spirit and put on mission to bring your peace and your love and your joy to this broken and eroding world. And so I pray for all of my friends out there that are far from you. They know they're far from you. Would you help them to turn their hearts to you just like the son in that story? I remember doing that when I was 20 years old and experiencing your grace and your freedom and I have never looked back. I want that for them today. Help them to turn their hearts back towards you and to celebrate new life in you, Jesus, and to be baptized in two weeks. I pray for my friends that are following you, Jesus, that are caught up on being perfect or trying to be good enough. Or maybe we've even given up. Would you recenter our focus on you, Jesus? We love you. Holy Spirit, would you be at work right now? Would you help the person that has always wanted to click on that link to talk to somebody or to pray someone to to take that step today? And to mark today as the day that they have given their life to you. Jesus, we love you. It's in your great name that we pray. Amen.